everyone, and welcome to the Learn and Lead podcast. The Learn and Lead podcast is for educators by educators, and we want to bring the world of Arizona public education to you and our thousands of members across the state. Our objective is to provide a platform for the voices of our educator leaders, along with some amazing community allies, and have conversations about those education topics that are on everyone's mind. Hello everyone, my name is Amber Gould. I am your Arizona Education Association State Treasurer. And I'm Carrie Wolf, your Learn and Lead Specialist. And boy do we have an exciting episode uh, for you all. Uh, One that's going to take us through quite a bit of learning um, and uh, hopefully give us some knowledge on how to better help our students in different situations. Before we do that though, I do have have a joke, Carrie. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, what continues to work? even after it's fired? Mm. I don't know. Oh, a neuron. <laughs> oh, get it, get it, yeah, right, fired. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, I like that. Okay, it wasn't as funny as some of my other ones. No, but corny, I like it. But, um, the neuron did not have a good union, is what I'm It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't feel like there's due process or like, and it just continues to work. Like, come on, what is that? It's just weird. All right. Um, anyway, so going off of that joke, um, because this is uh, a brain-based session, um, we are looking at how to do trauma-informed teaching, right? Yeah, we're uh, going to be talking through trauma-sensitive practices for not only teachers in the classroom, but also um, education support professionals who are not doing direct instruction. And you've done quite a bit of work with this, right, Carrie? Yes, um, it's been something I've done extensive training on, and um, I've had the opportunity to go to places like Chandler and Glendale Union and present at some conferences, and so it's really exciting work, and it's definitely an area of passion for me. Yeah, I know. I've uh, had a lot of teachers that we've had conversations about this and um, how we can we can use trauma-informed teaching effectively, and many of which went to one of those sessions, and so I'm kind of excited to go through this uh, with you here and just go through some of the main points. Um, but this is like a, like a longer presentation, right? Oh yeah. Um, we've done a four part series for Chandler. We've done, um, a two and a half hour version, myself and Jessica Weaver, a member from Cartwright. Um, we've done several different versions and I think the newest iteration actually is like a three and a half hour training on a Saturday. Oh, nice. Yeah. I feel like the newest iteration though is podcast form, but <laughs> but that's of like course. current. We got a little meta with that. All yes. right. All right. Okay. So, um, so let's go ahead and dive right into this. So when we're looking at trauma, I know that there are different levels or different types of trauma. Um, what are we going to be really focusing on here? Well, I think first it's important to recognize that trauma is not the event that happened. It's the effect that that event has on the brain. Two people can experience the exact same event and their brain can process it in totally different ways depending on their life experiences, right? I mean, um, one of the things to think about is that in any event that is emotionally disturbing or life, like potentially life-threatening could create a trauma response. Um, and so what that looks like is there's a physical, mental, social, emotional, or even spiritual um, kind of impact on the person's well-being as a result of the event. So being aware of those events is definitely helpful when we're dealing with students, especially when we might have multiple students in a classroom that have experienced different types of trauma. Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize that you don't have to know the details of someone's trauma to be trauma sensitive. Um, You know, oftentimes the language is shifted to healing centered um, and away from like the deficit based. um, 
you know, language that defines someone as their trauma and instead focusing on the fact that we need to create spaces that can be healing for students who have trauma and students who maybe don't have as much trauma. So, okay. So am I using the correct term that like, should I use trauma informed teaching or, or healing centered teaching? Um, trauma sensitive, um, is the kind of newer tor- uh, term because it's more about, um, the way that we are sensitive to the needs of those who've been tra- trauma, who traumatized, um, or if we're talking about a space, we could talk about a healing centered space. Oh, okay. So okay. it's trauma sensitive practices, creating a healing centered space. All right. So then when we're working with, with students or with, you know, people in general, are there any t- like specific types of trauma that we need to be aware of or levels? Yeah. Um, there, I don't know if there's necessarily levels, but there's definitely different types of trauma. And it's important to know that these can kind of be compounded, right? Like they can build on with one another. Um, you could have an acute trauma where you just have like an event or an experience that's kind of gives you a, a reaction, a physical reaction. Um, and it's short-lived and it's kind of, it has a specific time and place and then it's over, right? That's an acute trauma. And then there's chronic trauma where you're experiencing these kinds of events that could be disturbing repeatedly over a long period of time. Um, And so it could even include like multiple different types of trauma happening in a series. Um, And this is something that we um, often think of when we think of trauma because we think of like the student who maybe um, isn't as safe at home as we'd like Mm -hmm. them to be, right? Um, And then there's also complex trauma, which is where you have trauma, lots of trauma that have happened or multiple traumatic events at a very young age, and it kind of affects the way that your brain develops. Um, it makes you a little bit more um, prone to anxiety, right? And like more kind of aware of the world because um, you're constantly trying to be in survival mode. Um, and that's like that that basic brain impulse, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the thing is that it sounds really scary um, to think about like this idea of complex trauma, but it's important to know that your brain is has neuroplasticity so just because you've experienced a childhood trauma doesn't mean that your brain is you know forever ruined um and i think that's something that people when they hear the definition of complex trauma they start to go oh my gosh that's me i'm i'm ruined right um and then there's also the fourth one which doesn't get talked about as much and it's historical trauma and this is kind of the cumulative impact of massive group trauma across generations when you think about um genocides that have happened right you Mm -hmm. think about the holocaust that definitely still has an impact on generations later, right? Um, it's cha- it, it had fundamentally changed families. Um, same thing when we talk about slavery, right? Like that had a fundamental impact that still ripples on into generations that are alive today. Um, and so thinking about how group trauma can also kind of um, play a part on top of some of these other things is really important because Trauma can come from more than just the home, which I think home is the one people think of, but it can also come from like your environment, right? If you've got like natural disasters or I don't know, a pandemic, right? Um, (laughs) There can also be, um, you know, community triggers, um, things that could be traumatic. Um, Some of the neighborhoods maybe are, don't feel as safe or. um, I have a a lot of students um, over the years. Yeah. Poverty, but like refugees. Oh yeah. Um, I know a lot of our, our districts, really try to work with different programs to help refugees and so these kids are coming in they are there are English learner kids there are kids that you know haven't been to school in a couple years because of the everything that's going on back where they were from but yeah our uh, refugee kids I mean our EL teachers like props to them if you are an EL teacher because you definitely work with a group of kids that really truly need you um and you know it's 
the great thing that you brought up, the um, prevalence of these types of trauma in our refugee students, because something that needs to be acknowledged and recognized is that it is often our students who come from poverty um, and the correlation between poverty and race that exists in some of our communities um, that are feeling the like more of the extent a disproportionate impact of the trauma um, because of the way that the community um, and the historical trauma and all those things kind of add up together um, and even our transgender or non-binary students might experience a different lo- different level of trauma than their cisgendered counterparts now I, I've heard when we we talk about all these um, these overlaps, right? There's this thing called the ACEs. Yes. Now, can you kind of go into detail about what that is? And I heard that we actually have the, the education community doesn't necessarily use ACEs anymore. We use a different, a different term. Yeah. So, um, ACEs refers to adverse childhood experiences. And I think, you know, I've been in trainings before where someone will take out what they call the ACE survey, which is basically this horrible, um, question and question and answer survey that's like have you experienced this 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 okay if you've experienced this number of things then you know you're oh so you can rehash your own trauma in the (laughs) middle of a pd that sounds horrible no it's it's not a great practice um people should be allowed to address their traumas at their own speed and their own time and in their own way Um, not surrounded by colleagues yeah and definitely not handing that to a student and saying hey like tally up all your traumas like that's not great practice in fact a trauma-informed classroom or excuse me a trauma-sensitive classroom really should not address the trauma at all but create positive experiences that can act as kind of a counterbalance which kind of brings me to the new terminology right the new terminology that's becoming much more pos- um, much more positive and much more popular is PACES, and that's protective and compensatory compensatory experience. So essentially, we're talking about the buffers, um, the things that protect kids from trauma, that lessen the impact of a traumatic event, things that build resilience in our students. Um, if we know that if a student has um, a family around them and they have all these friends and they've got all these hobbies and clubs and things that they're involved in and things that they care about and they experience a traumatic event, they're going to process that very differently than a student who has none of those things. Mm, that makes sense. So it's something that we can do as educators is being aware of what some of those things are that can be be a buffer for students and making sure we provide those opportunities like helping them find a friend, right? Um, Having at least one best friend can reduce your risk of um, suicide and it can reduce your list of a lot of really negative effects of trauma. Um, Well, and and then, you know, when we did our our podcast about the LGBTQ uh, students and working with that particular group is... Like the amount of students that if they have one adult in their life yep. that accepts them for who they are, like their their likelihood of self-harm decreases dramatically. And that's just one adult. Yeah. And they say that the like literally the most important pace is unconditional love from a parent or mentor. Wow. And so how I mean, how many pe- how many educators does that fit the description for? I mean, that's basically our job title. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the other things that can help too is like exercise and physical activity. I mean, we know that's good for the brain. We know it's good for the body. Um, yeah, I having should probably a hobby participate in that more. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, shout out to all of our bus drivers and to our nutritional services workers and all of our safety education support professionals because another huge part of being kind of protected from traumatic events is having a school that is safe 
that's clean, that has enough food. And so all of those things are done by our education support professionals. It's all that that part of Maslow's, like the first couple levels, right? You can't get to the belonging if you're not safe, if you're not, you know, part of that environment. So Right. And I mean, you know from Stuco that um, giving students opportunities to volunteer or help someone else can also be a really great buffer for people. It helps them feel like they've reclaimed some of their power, right? And so mm-hmm. you've, I mean, you experience that all the time, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we hosted a blood drive today and, you know, I had kids volunteer for that. They not only volunteered, but they're also giving blood, uh, literally blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> <laughs> but but this is something that they they really love. And, you know, it's interesting going back to like the the, the best friend or like community piece of that. Because that's something we really practice in our student council. We we have okay, so we have like their their class levels, right? Like yeah. president, vice president, but then we have their committees. But then we also do this thing called families, and I and I stole this straight up from another teacher in my district at Glendale High School. Um, but they do families where they have an older student that kind of adopts like the underclassmen, and oh, they yeah? they do. Um, they do awkward family photos. They, they <laughs> do a family dinner once a quarter. Um, whenever we have a spirit week, they're texting their family to make sure they all have spirit costumes. But it, it creates that um, that sense of community on a smaller level. And then, you know, the council as a whole. Because I've seen, I've had some, stu- some student council kids that have really gone through, um, s- honestly, some things that students should never have to go through. Yeah. And the way that I've watched my students rally around them, yeah. like I'm starting to tear up just talking about this, just knowing what has gone on over the years. So it is it is very special and it is something that it's needed, not only in a, an elective class, but in, you know, a regular like English or math class, you know, and we have a lot of teachers that are so good at fostering that. You know, I, in this conversation, it's definitely reminding me of something else that I want to remind all the educators out there is that there is such a thing as secondary trauma. And secondary trauma is when you experience the trauma of others and it has an impact on you. And I, I don't know very many educators who don't have some level of that secondary trauma. You know, students tell us things sometimes and it's hard to process. Um, you know, I, the number of times where I've had someone, a student drop a bomb on me, like kind of like mentally where they share a story with me in the middle of the day and then I'm trying to process it and also teach and keep it together. And, you know, sometimes the stories we hear from those students are pretty, pretty devastating. They let us in because they trust us. And so it's important to recognize that secondary trauma is something that can happen to educators, both teachers and education support professionals. And kind of be aware of some of the signs. So some of the signs might look like um, increased irritability. Um, It might look like decreased concentration. You can't focus as well. Um, It might look like intense feelings or uh, intrusive thoughts. Like when thoughts just like pop up in your head and you're trying to do something else. They get in the way. Um, When you have dreams about students' traumas, um, that's definitely a a red flag. Um, when you're having difficulty planning and getting excited about work, that can also be a secondary trauma response. And so the the feedback I want to give you is that you are an amazing educator. You're not alone. You're in great company with 3 million members across all of NEA. Right. <laughs> um, you also have resources in your districts, right? You have our... Um, 
our sessions that are provided by our healthcare insurance, right, for mental yeah, health care Yeah, take advantage support. of those if you haven't. For sure. And then you also have your union, your community of educators, where you can come and feel like you have power, like you have space, you have, you, you can have your needs met, you can talk to other people who are experiencing the exact same thing. Because as much as I love my spouse, he does <laughs> not get it. There's like that teacher talk, right, or like oh educator talk. Yeah, well, and my <laughs> spouse is in education, and so it's just constant, um, which, you know, pros and cons to that, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but just, again, remember that you're not broken, right? Like, just like we talked about earlier, like, your brain is resilient, and you can bounce back. Just take time for you. And it's okay to cry. Yes, it is. We experience hard things. Another thing that is helpful is for both students and adults, um, whether you are a mentor or you are a coach or a teacher or nutritional services staff, um, is strength-based approaches. So any way that you can highlight and identify a student's strength and kind of bring that into a conversation or if you can identify a passion, um, that can also be really empowering, reminding them that there's hope, that there's good things, right? Well, the amount of times, you know, when you show up to like their basketball game or to their orchestra concert, that means the world to these kids. And it's it's oh, so yeah. funny because you'll go to so many a year and then they'll they'll remember that. They'll remember that and they'll come up to you at graduation and be like, oh, I loved when you came to my, you know, concert or to my show or like, yeah. it's adorable and I love it. <laughs> That's yeah. the feel good. <laughs> and it also helps relationships with parents too when it's, you know, when they see you come to those kids games mm -hmm. and they're like, oh yeah, you genuinely care about my kid as a human being. Um, I think this is a really timely topic given all the kind of mass shootings that have been in the news and just remembering that students are processing that as well, especially if they're old enough to watch the news and have seen some of the stuff that they may be processing that and trying to figure out what that means for them. Well, and a lot of our high school kids have been participating at a national level um, with what's going on with the, um, you know, making sure that we have common sense gun laws and things like that. Um, I, I think this week, last, last Wednesday, um, a lot of students across the nation participated in a, a walkout. So around like noon, their state time, uh, they, you know, went out on campus and had a demonstration to be like, hey, this this is an issue. And so we have students that, you know, we have some that'll bottle things up. Yeah. Um, and then we have others that are, that are, you know, able to, or have the opportunity to actually go and fight for some of these pieces. So, um, you know, we have students that are coping with things on many different levels. And right. so, you know, different ways that we can support them is always good. Well, and here's some other things that you can do, um, you know, creating a safe space for students, even if it's for, it's just a re personal relationship you develop with a student who gets on the bus every day with you, right? Like just knowing them by name can make a huge difference and telling them, greeting them by name and telling them you're glad to see them. Um, establishing predictability. Um, students thrive in routine and they need that. It's also really reassuring for adults. Um, that's why there's a lot of routines kind of built into our day that we develop for ourselves to kind of create this sense of like control and structure. And, you know, there's, there's things that happen in this timely order. Kind of yeah. Like it's weird chaos. in the summer when my life isn't dictated <laughs> by a bell. You like forget to eat. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was supposed to be lunch three hours ago. What just happened? Oh my gosh. Um, 
Yeah, no, for real. And then <laughs> um, anytime you can offer kids choice, because sometimes trauma can make you feel a little bit powerless, right? And so how can you offer power with strategies instead of power over, um, you know, you don't have to prove that you're the person in charge if you really are in charge. Um, <laughs> just kind of offering students choices and empowering them to do things that they care about, like if they choose to take action on the issue that they are passionate about, great. That's, yeah. a, that's a healthy way of dealing with trauma. I would say the other thing, too, um, that we don't often think about is post-traumatic growth. Um, this is something that is not talked about a whole lot, but there's a really great book by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey where they talk about what happened to you. And in the book, it's all about post-traumatic growth and this idea that trauma is not something that is kind of a good thing, right? But that doesn't mean that you can't grow out of a traumatic response, right? And how do you learn to love yourself differently and know yourself differently and view the world differently and being grateful that you are able to continue to live and breathe and you're continue you're continuing to build relationships with other people and finding a way to have some positivity come out of a really horrible situation. What was the name of that book again? What happened to you? Okay, what happened to you? Okay. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, I'm kind of a nerd for that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that if we were to go back through all of our podcasts and be like, what are all the books? Carrie's, uh, Carrie's recommended <laughs> book list. <laughs> oh, we'd, have, we'd have quite a, a list of titles going. <laughs> well, and I think one of the things from that book that is really, really helpful, has been helpful for me, is the three R's. Um, and the three R's are like how you respond to someone who's in a, having a trauma response. Um, and we'll kind of talk about what that means in a second. But um, the first thing is that they need help regulating, especially if they're a young kid and their prefrontal cortex isn't developed yet, right? They're like amygdala is in charge of their brain, which is your emotion center. So they're not thinking rationally or calmly. The first thing you can do is help regulate with them, which is called co-regulation. So if you stay calm and you encourage them to get a drink of water and to move, if that feels good for them, to get a snack, to go to the bathroom, and then you kind of show them and model your breathing and your tone of voice and you kind of create a feeling, then you can help them kind of calm down. It's and like sharing that energy, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. And then the second R is relate. Then you can... Remind them they're safe. Remind them that you're, tr you're a trusted person, right? Build that connection, that belonging, that positive sensory input. If they want a hug, you can ask for consent. Do you, hey, do you, do you mind if I hug you? And then after all of that happens, you can reason with them and talk <laughs> about the redirect and the mm -hmm. let's problem solve. And hey, you know, maybe that wasn't the best reaction. Maybe we could do this instead. Um, but that can't happen till after the first two R's. Honestly, like I felt a lot more calm when you were going through the first star. I was like, oh, that was a great energy. <laughs> no, you know, it's, it's, it's so interesting because I don't know, I don't necessarily feel like I am an overly emotional person in the classroom. Um, you know, it's that, I don't know if you do uh, like astrology, but I'm definitely a cancer, <laughs> you know, I try to put on a hard shell, but in the, you know, inside I'm like, emotional and squishy. Um, but you know, my kids 
oh, when they break down, they break down. Yeah. And so I'm fortunate that I have a kind of a bigger room because it's connect. like my student council room is connected with my English classroom. So I'll bring kids into the other room and I'm like, here's a box of Kleenex, here's a water bottle. Like we yeah. go through that whole process and oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. The t- tears over anything from like, something that I'll be mandated to report and I'm trying to get a hold of the social worker to, you know, I just broke up with, you know, my my longtime boyfriend of three months and <laughs> have I told you the chip story? The chip story? No, what's the chip story? Okay, so every year as a middle school teacher, the first week of school, I would spend it talking about like an owner's manual for your brain, which I think I've mentioned on the podcast before. Um, and the reason we would spend the first week talking about that is we would talk about how to be each other's prefrontal cortex, right? Like how to like if your friend is in crisis mode, like how can you be a good friend and help them? kind of work through it because I had a situation one time where I had a student two periods after lunch come in my classroom and they're bawling hysterically and I'm like oh my gosh and so I get the class started I have like the one foot out the door one foot in the door and I'm asking the student are you okay is there anything I can do for you do you need to go to the bathroom do you need to get water what do you need um and she's crying and I'm like okay I'm noticing you just need some time right now how about you go to the bathroom and then splash some water on your face. It might feel good. Get a drink of water and come back. And then we'll talk and we'll check in and just make sure you're okay. And so she goes, she comes back. And I'm, again, step my foot outside the door to have a conversation with her. And she's like, <sighs> I've just had the hardest day. And I was like, well, what happened? Are you okay? Like, do I need to be worried about you? Do you need to go talk to the counselor? And she's like, no, I just... <laughs> I couldn't open my chips at lunch. Oh, I've been there. Uh, and she's like, she's like full on crying again. And she's just so distraught. And I was like, well, did your friends open it? And they were like, she was like, no, I just struggled. And I was looking forward to them all day. Oh. Mind you, this is two periods after lunch. Oh. <laughs> and so my poor, poor middle schooler was, has been, had been sitting and stewing and feeling her feelings for two periods. Oh, this kiddo. Oh. And so I was like, well, did anyone ever open your chips for you? And she's like, no. And I'm like, you know what? If you bring me those chips, I'll open them. And you can sit right outside the classroom, have your, have your chips take a minute and then come back when you're ready. Cause that kid was not going to learn anything right. when you're like distraught. Oh, <laughs> well, and you know, you know, that wasn't the first thing right? and the right. only thing right. that they struggled with that day. It was, that was just the, the was final the, straw. Yep. Oh, <laughs> that was their tipping point. Oh, and we talked about like, I mean, from that moment on, we, every year we would talk about like, if you have a chip moment, just let me know. Like everyone has chip moments. It's okay to have big emotions. And we talked about the fact that emotions are not just the ooey gooey stuff, right? That people kind of say, right? We're kind of taught that that's what it is. But every emotion is a chemical reaction in your brain, right? It's a thought that has a chemical reaction, which has an effect on your body. It's, it's neurobiology. It's not, you know, something to be dismissed or ignored. It's something to recognize and be aware of. Um, I one time was in this training with someone who was um, a trauma trainer and she said something that blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. She had us do this activity where we had like this template of a body and then she had us kind of mark where do we feel stress when we're stressed. Oh. And so everyone had very different like places where they feel stress. And then she was kind of talking through like, you know, she said she felt it in her stomach and she felt it in her head. So she'd get a headache, her stomach would be queasy and she'd be a little shaky, right? And so she started this practice in her own life where she would thank her body 
for helping her process that she needed to take some time off, that she needed some self-care. She would thank her body for being nauseous and say, like, thank you for letting me know that I need to pause. Oh, wow. And, like, talk about, like, loving yourself. Like, that's power. <laughs> yeah, when I get, like, nauseous from stress, I'm like, I don't have time for this. Yeah. Like, so completely yes. different, <laughs> completely different take. No, that's that's pretty cool, actually. Because yeah. then, like, you're taking, like, you're really reflecting on why you're feeling that way and exactly. you're able to to monitor and adjust, right? <laughs> yes. And it's important to recognize too that our students, they don't necessarily know how to process their big feelings because they don't have their prefrontal cortex fully developed until they're 25. And that's emotion management. That's where the emotion management happens. So helping them by practicing emotion management and practicing how to calm down and how to regulate and also recognizing that in order to survive, whatever traumatic experience they may have had, they may have some poor coping skills that may come off as like defensiveness or being a little bit manipulative or um, avoidance, right? The student just puts their head down and doesn't want to talk to you. Um, You know, it could even be self-harm or I know that um, especially uh, secondary teachers have experienced students who struggling with substance abuse Mm -hmm. already. Like those are things that people have done as a maladaptive coping skill to deal with the things that they have not learned the skills to deal with yet. Well, and that follows them into adulthood and the decision-making that occurs there. So, you know, when we're looking at our students in our second and third grade classroom, like being able to teach them these skills early on and, you know, have strategies on how to deal with those emotions and with that stress and know their resources. Yes. That's literally setting them up for life. Absolutely. And here's some things that I want like everyone to just be aware of. Again, thinking about how you as an educator are susceptible to the secondary trauma and maybe you even have your own traumas, right? Um, is we're ma- recognizing how it has an impact on your brain is by listening to this podcast is something that you are doing for a reason, right? And recognizing what that reason is and acknowledging it and then deciding what you're going to do with this information. Um, you know, sometimes our quirks and our tics are actually like trauma responses. Um, so how do we start to recognize what those are and name them for what they are? And then something else is um, it's not abnormal to have bad things happen. Bad things happen to everyone. But we can also take our power back by advocating for other people Um kind of releasing us from our silence, right? Reclaiming our power, um, kind of taking control of a situation that we're unsure about. And I think the best way to do that is to be part of your union. I mean, you can change your working conditions. You can advocate for safety. You can advocate for respect. Whether you're a classroom teacher, an education support professional, you have power with other educators. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's so crazy how many conversations I've had with colleagues over the years that are are burnt out, that are stressed, that are doing everything they can just to hold on because they are trying to work with these kids that are, you know, also going through traumatic situations. And so, you know, I really think that that brings us to our homework and being able to reflect on, you know, everything that you shared here, Carrie, and be able to, um, to reflect on what our traumas are and our stressors are and start to process those because we need to be able to do that before we're able to really help out students to to our fullest potential, right? Yep, 
And that leads us to our homework. And today I've got the homework. Yes. Your homework is to do something that releases happy chemicals for you. Um, Oh, that's sweet, sweet dopamine. Yes, dopamine (laughs) um, by completing a task, doing some self-care, which doesn't have to be like an hour-long bubble bath. It could just be like two minutes for you, doing something that you love or getting a coffee for yourself on the way to work because you need it. You need to pick me up. Um, TikTok eating some for really a couple good hours, food. yeah. Oh, well, I don't say TikTok hole, but <laughs> um, oxytocin is another really happy chemical. This is like playing with your dog, your family, your baby, um, hugging someone, giving someone a compliment. Um, there's serotonin. You can release that by running, going out in the sun, walking in nature, swimming, cycling, and then endorphins, which are painkillers with like laughing. Even if you just laugh for no reason, that's releases dopamine <laughs> endorphins well it, and i heard that like even if you like <laughs> fake laugh right like it yes. still releases yep. okay i'm gonna side note on this because okay, i'm ready there's this new game that my friends and i have been playing on the switch right okay and it's called ultimate chicken horse what and like okay hear me out on this like you you play these little characters and you're supposed to like go through this obstacle course to a flag and it's like very 2d like think like old school super mario kind okay. of okay um but you set like traps for each. I have never, I have laughed so hard <laughs> playing this dumb game because like suddenly it'll be like, oh, I just got attacked by bees or, hey, I didn't see like this, like, you know, some sort of booby trap or something. It cracks us up. What's it called? Chicken ultimate, horse? Ultimate chicken horse. On ultimate the, chicken You got to play with a group. Oh my God. <laughs> I die every time. Like both in the game and then like by laughter. <laughs> It's great. But yeah, that's a great, oh my gosh, like belly, la- like crying laughter. One of those. Highly recommend. <laughs> Laugh, the laughter heals. Yeah, yeah. The science proves it. <laughs> All right. So you heard our homework. It's to go play Ultimate Chicken Horse. <laughs> you know, among the other things we listed. Yeah. Get that dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, however you can. And please take care. Paradise Valley Education Association for composing our theme song and another shout out to Carrie Wolf for producing each episode. If you want more information on other learn and lead opportunities and professional development made for educators and by educators, check out ArizonaEA.org slash professional dash excellence or reach out to your local president. If you're not currently a member and want to be part of creating opportunity for all students through the power of public education, you can join the Arizona Education Association by going to ArizonaEA.org backslash join. And that's the bell.